This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. There's a heartbeat to what we do. And the reason that people are here is because they want to make the world a better place through delicious, healthy food. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm super, super excited to have my next guest here, who is just a total rock star, fellow redhead, if you are on <laughs> watching us on, on the video portion of this. So Ellis Singer McHugh is the CEO of Territory Foods, and it is the absolutely one of the yummiest delivery programs that's out there. And she was so kind to deliver way too much to my house. And I have to tell you, my 16-year-old son was quite happy. He said he's never eaten so well in his life, which I wasn't going to dissect that comment at all. But I just, it was so, so good. So Ellis has a super impressive track record. She spent years in global consulting at Deloitte and then went on to be at The Gap and then uh, also at ZX Ventures. And uh, she has a really interesting story. She had uh, cancer in her family and she became interested in researching how food impacts health and wellness and fight diseases. And I mean, that cannot be more emphasized. I think so many people are thinking about that today. Like, how do you stay healthy? And and mm-hmm. so, so important. So in 2017, she joined Territory as the VP of Strategic Finance. And then shortly after that was named CEO in 2019, and uh, which is such a great, great, great story that we'll get into. And she's been featured as a top 25 consumer health tech executive, um, so many accolades. Um, she's done a lot of foundational work in the food of science space. And she was also recognized as a best company for women uh, by the 2020 Comparably Awards. And I mean, just so, so cool. So I can't wait to get started with Ellis and to hear a little bit more about her journey. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Very, very excited. So let's go back to the beginning. So I always try and get down to sort of who who were you as a as a kid? Who was young Ellis? <laughs> right? Did you always know you were going to be working at Territory Foods and doing all the stuff that you did? No, no way. I would say young Ellis, I wanted to be a rock star. Like if you're like, what did you want to be when you were five years old? I wanted to be a rock star. 
I never learned guitar, so it kind of was a, a showstopper. But I really got my like my journey started. Um, I went to Johns Hopkins University and I studied international studies, East Asian studies, history, and economics. So I'm a massive nerd. And I was graduating from university at a time in 2008 when there were not a ton of like new jobs coming up and the world was about to go into flux. And like you could kind of see it in the world of like finance and consulting and things like that. And with that background, I ended up in technology consulting. I um, mean, it was really on a little bit of a lark because I was like, well, if I can teach myself Mandarin Chinese, which I do speak very terribly, would, is what I would say. Um, if I can teach myself Mandarin Chinese, I can probably teach people how to learn technology concepts in a non-technical environment. And so I loved consulting from the beginning. I loved the business translation aspect. And I really loved the idea of how do you take people through a journey of transforming their business. And, and I, as a young person, have the tools to help you. Like That's so empowering. Um, and early in my time at Deloitte, I kind of said, I loved, like, listen, Deloitte is an amazing place to start a career. This is not a Deloitte ad, but I will say if you're on the fence, it's a fantastic place yeah. because it's just got a ton of runway um, and just like phenomenal leadership culture. And so I learned from an early time to really believe in myself and to like raise my own voice, where I know that a lot of women in technology specifically did not have that experience. And so I feel really lucky that I came up in this time, even with a non-technical degree in the world of technology, saying, you can learn this thing, you can teach this person, you can build this system, and no one's going to stop you. Um, but I was deploying large-scale Oracle ERP like packages. I will tell you, it's like the least sexy technology. And it's very dry. But what I really loved was working with the clients. And I loved their their experiences. And I worked with like large-scale semiconductor tester manufacturers in Japan. And I worked with um, Humvee manufacturers in Texas. And the thing that really struck me with all of them was that they really believed their business was so different than every other business. Like they really believed the way that they did their reporting was different and the way that they did their payables was different in their supply chain. And I started to just say like, why? Like, why is this so different? And I think that my like innate, like kind of a uh, tenacity and like that ENTJ personality was like, but why, why do you think this? Why do you think this? Right. And how often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years. 
helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think, and makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. It's because for me, I looked at all these businesses and with that really young eye, like you don't really know the difference between one business or another, just kind of like business, right? right? And so I started to form this hypothesis that any difference in your business, anything that was special about you actually had to be different to the consumer. 
And that unless it provided value to that end consumer, you were pretty much just wasting efficiency in your back office, in your supply chain, in, in whatever you were doing. And there's all these tools, especially now, there's all these tools. If you want to launch a business, if you don't have something that's differentiated about that part of your business, you should use a tool that somebody else has created because they're going to help you do it faster and get it in front of the customer to prove that they really love the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even you know, before I knew I was going to be the CEO of anything, and certainly before I thought about the world of health and wellness and fresh prepared foods, I started to say... Any business that I touch, I need to understand how that complexity drives that end value to the consumer. So from the beginning, have always been obsessed with it. From Deloitte, I was there for like six years. I got amazing management chops. I was like top 5% the whole time I was there in like a crazy type A. I'd moved from the East Coast to the West Coast and was living in San Francisco. Um, And I really wanted to own something. And I've always loved global fashion. And I've always loved retail. I'm a big shopper. So I said, I'm going to go find a place that brings all those things together. And the best and biggest global supply chain in San Francisco for fashion, it's absolutely Gap. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And they're a retail giant, right? Six brands at that time, incredible leadership team, an incredible mission-based company as well. Um, And a lot of companies will say that they're mission-based, but Gap actually invests in it. They have a huge, huge focus on sustainability, on developing the communities they touch, of something called the PACE program, which is literally incredible. And uh, Don and Doris Fisher were amazing, you know, patrons of San Francisco as well. So when you're talking about companies with legacy and like building something that's more meaningful for community, Gap is, it's incredible. And the part of Gap I came into was a really interesting part. And it was the global supply chain organization for the franchise business. And the franchise business was the 44 international markets that Gap did not wholly own. And they worked with best-in-class franchisees around the world and basically said, like, we'll design the product, you sell it. It's a really simple relationship. Hmm. And it allows you to be in places like Saudi Arabia and Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, you know, places that are hard for U.S. companies to operate, but they do so in a trusted partnership way. And I came in at this amazing time when this franchise business had grown to be massive But on the other side of the world in San Francisco, Gap was optimizing their supply chain to build uh, like better e-commerce practices here in the U.S. and better global supply chain flow. And they made a critical decision in the way the goods moved that basically just broke the franchise business. So my my first day, I was like, oh, God, this is broken. That's insane. So did you but you didn't know anything from Deloitte about franchises, right? Nothing. I knew nothing about franchises. I knew very little about the global supply chain. And I really, um, I was so nervous, but then I was also so upset as a young person making these choices because my first day at Gap, I came home, I just like cried my eyes out to my husband, my boyfriend, and he's my husband now. And I said, I made a horrible mistake. And he said, why? And I was like, I was sitting pretty at Deloitte, like I had a great career in front of me. Yeah, what did I do? What did I do? I could have just stayed for 10 more years and I'd probably be a partner. They were going to pay for my MBA. I didn't get it. Like all these things. And I made that choice because I believed that I didn't need to get an MBA to do what I wanted to do in the long run, to own something, to, to build something. And I made that choice because I said, I can always go back. I can always bring my hat to the door and say, like, I've made a horrible mistake. Please take me back. But you can't compromise that next step forward. And so I pushed myself into an uncomfortable space. I walked through the doors of Gap. I didn't know anything about the business. But I used the logical reasoning that I had gotten as a consultant to basically say, like, okay, like, what do I know? What do I know? Yeah, right? I love How it. do I know that things work? And 
it was amazing. I was at Gap for about three years and just worked through the number of challenges and problems in this global supply chain organization. Sean Curran, who was the EVP of supply chain then, he's a COO now. He's an incredible human, incredible mentor to me. Like never, ever, uh, never would kick him, kick me out of his office for sure. And I really think that he helped me understand a lot of what I loved about supply chain and what a lot of what I didn't, quite frankly. And he, you know, I remember him sitting down. He said, I think you can run a distribution center one day. And I remember being like, thank you so much, Sean. But inside being like, I do not want to run a distribution center. Yeah, no, but it's, it's always good to sort of be asked, right? And, and kind of think about that somebody thinks that you would be good at something, but it's not even slightly in your interest. But, and exactly. And so then you go on to ZX Ventures. And how how did that come about? Um, very much by accident. <laughs> I wish I could say that it was like more intentional. Um, but I had moved from San Francisco to London with Gap. And then I moved from London back to the US. And I was working in product operations of making the whole business more responsive to consumer demand. And so basically the very early iteration of demand, demand-based ordering of product and like reading data and saying like, what's the colorways we're going to choose for this product based on the way early consumers are buying. And now saying that in the world of like D2C businesses are everywhere, it doesn't sound that revolutionary, but for a gap, it's actually huge. It's a huge thing to say, we're going to read the data before we place the orders. Um, And we were doing it manually. We were doing it on spreadsheets, myself and a planner named Nicole. We'd cut purchase orders for hundreds of thousands of pairs of pants at like two o'clock in the morning at 55 Thomas Street. Like it was fun. It was the wild west. Um, But I kind of took a step back when I came back to New York and I said, you know, what's my dream? And what am I trying to prove? And I think that for me, it's always about what am I learning? And if I'm not learning, then why am I here? Right? I'm a, I'm a constant state of learning and I'm a constant state of like acquiring new information. And I took a hard look. I loved my team at Gap. Best boss ever. Amazing. Like great career again, similar to the Deloitte story. Great career. But I said, you know, I don't feel like I'm learning as much and I want to get into this direct-to-consumer idea and I want to get into demand-based design. And so I put my resume out on LinkedIn. I was almost instantly reached out to by ZX Ventures through like one of their contract recruiters. And they basically said, you have the strangest background because I had supply chain, finance, technology, and merchandising. Yeah, totally different. Very weird. Yeah. Totally strange. And they said, you just might be perfect for what we want you to do. And they were looking for... um, So first and foremost, CX Ventures is the venture capital and innovation arm of AB InBev. AB InBev is the largest CPG company in the world. It's a $58 billion company. Most notably owns Budweiser, Stella Artois, Corona, um, and a portfolio of 350 other brands across the world. Um, It's an incredible company to work for. And ZX is a special part of AB InBev that does innovation and venture capital. It has five divisions. And the one that they recruited me for was brand experience. And they basically said that beer as a category is declining and it's declining because of a couple of core, you know, massive macro level vectors in terms of buying behaviors of, of female consumers, uh, lack of premiumization against wine and spirits, and then uh, health and wellness trends in the beverage category in general, of which I'm sure you're very, very aware, yeah. well aware. And they said, but we have all these brands and people love them. And so if we could build other products that they wanted to buy? Could we reinforce the beer buying habit without actually selling people beer? And I was like, well, this is just like the strangest business I've ever heard. So sure, let me let me try it. And I basically said, you know, you're never going to walk into an environment where you have 350 of the best brands in the world. And what you can do is understand why the customer actually buys. 
What do they actually love? And then build products. And so for two years, I traveled around the world, uh, myself and a creative director, and we would literally go on a customer safari and we'd say, okay, in Belgium, it's Lefe. And who drinks Lefe? It's a 45 to 55 year old male consumer. He has one after work with a friend. And then the second um, food hits the table for like an aperitivo kind of uh, pre-meal snack. Um, they switch to wine because of perception that wine matches better with food. So how do we stop that switching behavior? And how do we sell them something different? And so we built a beer wash cheese program. And we basically told the consumer through a product that it was okay to stick with beer. Um, and these became their own businesses on their own. Uh, it was an amazing experience because I owned the PNL from design through delivery through all these different sales channels, whether it's direct to consumer or B2B sales with Walmart, working with a truly global team. So interesting. It was super interesting. And like I built the business, it was growing rapidly, rapidly for two years. And again, I kind of said, okay, now what? Wait, let Where, me let it- me just go back. So wait, did you guys actually build brands then? Did you actually go and create new brands? We didn't start brands from the beginning. What we would do is we'd get in at the beginning level. So like a great example is this brand called Colorado in Brazil. It's like the original craft beer of, of Brazil. And we were there at the nascency when they're doing the original brand design, building out all the product suite that would go with it. And if this, this brand heritage that we're creating was very much about like local fruits and local businesses, like how could we build the apparel, the glassware, the food products that all fit into that ecosystem of that brand? And so you'd actually like start an apparel company around a brand. So did you, do they still own like an apparel company? Well, okay. So we did a lot through licensing, right? Because like okay. the, the best, as I kind of said, like the best way to do things in, in this world where we have access to so many things, you know, you don't learn HTML and build a website. You go to Shopify and you use it as a platform. Totally. Right. And so just like for that, you find people who are making best in class, you know, whatever you're looking for. And you come to them, you say, I have an idea, I have a concept, I have a budget. Let's build that things. But yes, we have a Bud Light fashion line in Mexico, um, my counterpart who runs the, uh, the licensing business here in the U.S. and globally now has done a beautiful job of like even growing it even further. But a lot of um, a lot of really interesting products. And like for the cheese that I mentioned, we had a best in class licensee named Savencia. They're an incredible Belgian company. They made best in class cheese. And we said, we want to do a beer wash cheese for Lefe. It's a heritage brand. And they they just got the concept right off the bat. So interesting. I had no idea that they were even in kind of that business. So you saw like a whole different side of the world that I think a lot of people just don't even know exists for businesses. Exactly. And but it it was so much fun is yeah. what I would say because when you're creating something from zero, it's just this most exciting and interesting part. But for me, the hardest part of creation is that brand love and to be able to come in to companies that already had that brand love and marketing teams that already knew how to speak to that consumer was so valuable yeah. because I said like, okay, I can study this customer. I can understand what else they want, but I think it's very difficult to build that brand love from zero to one. Um, so I have a mass amount of respect for, for the branding teams, especially at AB and Bev, but across, you know, big companies, small companies, you have the hardest job because you're talking to the consumer about why they should love your product. Yeah. And that's not an easy conversation to have. No, not at all. That's, wow, that's so incredible. So so then how did you get to Territory Foods then? Well, I was I was in the middle of um, 2000, you know, whatever, just kind of sitting on like my 36th week of consecutive travel is how I would describe it. Yeah. And my health had fallen apart. Uh, so you had mentioned, I have a lot of cancer in my family. I lost my father to a stage four glioblastoma when I was 20 years old. 
which is brain cancer. Yeah. And it was, um, as you can imagine, as a young person losing a parent, it is already so difficult and traumatic. But I think the thing for me about this particular type of cancer was that it was fast. We didn't know one day he was fine. The next day he was almost gone. And he, he managed to hang on for like a year and a half. So it's just this crazy moment when you go through cancer survival as a like participant, for lack of a better term, or a loved one. It really impacts you as well. And as a young person, I'm like 21 years old, I kind of was like, okay, my aunt had a double mastectomy because she had breast cancer and cervical cancer. And my father just died of a brain cancer. Am I going to die? And I think that mortality moment usually comes later for people. It came pretty early for me. Sure. And I went to doctors and I said, like, what can I do for cancer prevention? And they said nothing. And I was like, what do you mean nothing? Like, how is that possible? We know so many things. Like, how can we not know anything about this? And so as I went from like college to, you know, to young working age, I started to just kind of like look at my own health. And, you know, as a consultant, I would go out like every night, go drinking with my team, steak dinners, like all the stereotypes, everything, everything. And I was always walking around like super bloated. And I looked pregnant at like 24 years old. Um, fun fact, I have not worn work pants since 2009. Wow. Every, every conference you will see me, I'm in a dress because in 2009, I gave up pants because I was like, these are unflattering and they make me feel terrible about myself. And like, I can't handle it. Uh, that's like the fun fact I use with our team all the time. But I went to Georgetown gastroenterology and I said, you know, my stomach's really swollen. What could be wrong? And they said, well, you might have colon cancer. And I just, I couldn't believe it. And I, I felt like my world was like caving in. And so I walked out of that doctor and I never walked back in. And instead I started to say like, how can I change my, how can I change my life? And I found Dr. Mark Hyman at four o'clock in the morning on um, PBS. He's speaking at Saunders Hall. And he is the, you know, forefather of the functional wellness movement in the United States, Cleveland Clinic, you know, all these amazing things. And he was talking about the body as a system. And that really resonated with me because he was like, if you have an inflammation in one part of the body, it's going to show up in other parts of the body. And you need to figure out how you can reduce inflammation in your body and figure out what is right for you. And so... I started that process in like 2010 and started iterating, iterating, iterating. Fast forward to my time when I'm at ZX Ventures and I'm traveling around the world drinking beer. So definitely not living an anti-inflammatory lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, I love palja queso, which is a Brazilian treat. And I love craft beer, which is very, very heavy and very glutinous. And I basically said, you know, from a business perspective, I worked at large companies. I've started my own thing. I've, you know, made a global supply chain much faster. I know how to do all these pieces. What else do I want? Right. Do I want to go start my own thing from scratch? I've never been somebody who has like a lightning bolt, like aha moment. I've never been like, here's this. I said, I'm a consultant by nature. I want to find something that is already going that I think is really special and I want to help grow it. And I want to come in and bring this breadth of experience, a ton of empathy, and really strong culture to the place that I go to work. And I want to help take a company through the next level. So I found Territory. They were um, hiring a like a finance person on LinkedIn. Again, this mm -hmm. is like also a low-key ad for LinkedIn. Yeah, exactly. And, and I reached out um, and the recruiter and I had one conversation about ketogenic food and anti-inflammatory food. And she was like, holy shit, you're one of us. And I was like, this is amazing. And I had a conversation with the founder and he had 
like built this really interesting business because Territory started in 2011. We're a little bit of an older company. And he, the founder, Patrick, had started the company out of his own personal need for fresh prepared meals in the paleo space because he was doing CrossFit and he was trying to get in shape. And at that time in 2011, there was no way to get paleo food to the home. Like Whole Foods did not have it. Like nobody had it. And so he went out and he found a chef that was making paleo food. And he said, will you make me pre-prepared paleo meals every single week? And she said, sure, I'll make them, but not just for you. Get a couple other people from your gym and see if they're interested. So he went to his gym and he said, does anybody want to do this with me? And six people said yes the first week. And then six became 10, became 12, became 25. And all the other gyms in Northern Virginia where he lived. And he realized he's a software engineer and an entrepreneur. And he said, this is a business because I'm solving a need for people that are super engaged, that are you know excited about this. And I can do this at scale through technology. Um, and what was amazing to me was that for the, you know, six years before I joined territory, the business had really evolved on the operational side of the house and on the culinary side of the house. And so as paleo became primal and primal became whole 30 and whole 30 became keto, the keto became plant-based and all this rapid fragmentation in the world of what the consumer views healthy territory had just kept adding chefs. They just would add more chefs and more capacity. And unlike everybody else in the fresh prepared meals category who are vertically integrated and very kind of classic CPG, territory leveraged the fact that they were a software platform to just bring on more capacity. Mm -hmm. So once I found this out, it's like the perfect marriage of like my own personal interest in health and wellness, the way I live my life, and then my supply chain magic brain just like exploded. Just, yeah, which is... (laughs) Which is so cool. And and today, I mean, we'll go back to the fact that then you took over as, as CEO, but but I mean, today, just sort of talk a little bit about, I mean, you're national, but mm-hmm. you use local people. That's right. I mean, you're not shipping from California to New York. You're That's right. Right. And so and then the delivery services, you're not using FedEx, right? I mean, you're That's right. using all local and uh, which is absolutely amazing. And and so uh, that's what I found so interesting about it, too, that you have a totally different type of supply chain and certainly different from The Gap and some of the other ones that you've seen out there. Um, so it was definitely, I'm sure, a learning curve. But then this was your first CEO role as well. So yes. how did you get the confidence to you know, jump in mm-hmm. and just go do it at that point? I think... You know, territory is a super special business. And the, the moment I stepped through the virtual threshold, because we are a uh, remote distributed company, meaning that, like you mentioned, all of our food is made locally. So everything is made about 200 miles or less of where it's being final consumed, which is really special, which means that your, your dollars stay in your local community from a food perspective. Everything is sourced from local farms. So everything's fresher. There's a lower carbon footprint. We work with local 3PLs, so on and so forth. The moment I started at Territory, I realized it was a very special company and that the heartbeat of the company was this amazing model and the culture that made it tick. And every single person that works at Territory, we're about 80 people now, there's a heartbeat to what we do. And the reason that people are here is because they want to make the world a better place through delicious, healthy food. I love it. And that is so special. You know, that's the thing about big companies. People are at them for different reasons. In a small company and a startup, you have to really believe. Um, so when I stepped in as CEO, it was not during the easy time. I stepped in, uh, you know, right as the pandemic really took off, which is a crazy, it's a crazy time to do anything yeah, is my answer. Absolutely. Um, when I stepped in in that moment, the first conversation with the team virtually 
<laughs> on on a thousand little Zoom boxes. Yeah. I literally said the words, okay, guys, it's us. What are we doing? And it's very much about like, let's pull together and let's remember the core values of the company that we are. And let's use those values as the central point of everything that we do. And if we build a company that is around our values and we bring that to every single thing and every single conversation, we build better partnerships with our local communities. We build better partnerships with our chefs. We produce a better product for our customer and we take better care of them. And that's really what we're here to do. Um, So I will not say that it was easy, but... I think it's one of these things where when the only choice is forward, you either freak out or you step up. And I'm definitely somebody who says like, all right, just got to do it. Take that deep breath and just move forward. Well, I love to, you explained a little bit about your journey. And even though those weren't entrepreneur per se, right? They were maybe innovation groups within larger companies. Or I always say to people like, they're like, I never should have gone to such and such place. I was never, and I'm like, every point along the way is a learning experience, right? Where you can actually pick up stuff. And I'm sure there's stuff from even, you know, dealing with franchises to, you know, creating, (laughs) spotting new trends or whatever it is. I mean, finding tools to do stuff. But more than anything, what I hear is like, the puzzle wasn't done right? Ever, right? You were like throwing a bunch of pieces. There was no picture um, to the puzzle that was handed to you. It was kind of, it was kind of like go create. And that is where I think the, you know, the curiosity and the entrepreneurial spirit that you talked about early on combined with your own personal interest in health. And I mean, that's sort of my story as well, how I got to be a beverage entrepreneur. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, very, very, very similar. What do you think was like the hardest thing about taking over for somebody? I've talked to other friends of mine that have, you know, taken over. Sometimes the founders still stayed, sometimes they haven't. And, you know, and I think it, I'm so curious, like what advice would you give to people um, who are sort of in that situation? Yeah, you have to believe, Mm -hmm. like you have to believe. Because if you don't believe, nobody else is going to believe. And most of the time when I'm talking to people who don't know territory, they don't know I'm not the founder. Mm-hmm. Like they will walk into like podcasts or meetings or things like, tell me how you told, how you founded territory. And I'll start by just saying, I'm actually not the founder. And I think that in our world of business, there's a, there's definitely a little bit of stigma around not being a founder. People say like, oh, well, you're pretty much a founder. I'm like, no, I'm a CEO. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's okay. They're different. Yeah. Um, but I think like, I believe so much in the mission of territory and the vision, the dream and the team that's doing it that it flows through and it gives me an incredible amount of positivity and incredible amount of belief that I bring to the team every single day. And I think that it is hard when you didn't, when you don't start something to have that natural belief that is the heartbeat of everything that you do. And so if you choose to go to a place where you're not the founder and you're stepping into the CEO position or even high leadership position, you really do have to believe because your team will be able to sniff out that you don't. And if you, if they can tell then all of a sudden they'll start to say, then why am I here? And that's when the, the cracks of doubt really start to, to trickle across an organization. And I'm a big believer that in a well-performing organization, people have the, the spirit behind them to ask the hard questions. And it's not just about blindly saying, you know, this is the best and we are the best. It's about saying like, we're the best. So why isn't this thing working? Or I want to be the best. And I don't think we're being the best in this way. And it's the honesty and the trust 
that usually is in those early teams where people are saying like, hey, I just, I want to build this thing so badly. Let's have a real honest conversation about it. It gets harder in later stage companies. But I think as a leader, it's your job to really keep that conversation going and and challenge the people that you bring in as well and the team that I brought in to have that kind of um, honesty and candor, uh, respect and empathy together. Absolutely. So how has COVID changed your business? <laughs> um, you obviously oh, man. walked in to, you know, this really interesting time and, and situation. Um, but, you know, it's when I think about prepared foods, I think prior to the pandemic, if anybody would have said to me, uh, you know, prepared foods when people are living at home, maybe mm-hmm. that is not a category that would grow. But I know that that's not the case for your business, or I believe that's not the case for your yeah. business. And so I think there it's just another one of those surprises. Like, what what have you seen in this category as a whole and for your company? Yeah, let's start with the category. Um, I'll tell you, when I first came to Territory, and I started, you know, talking to investors and things like that. We were the least sexy product on the market. We are a delicious, very delicious, I promise everyone who's listening, very delicious, a delicious, healthy prepared meals company delivered to the home. Like there's a lot of things there. And the number one thing that people would say would be like, well, what about distribution through Whole Foods? Like, have you thought of that? And believe you me, I've thought about it extensively, but it was a really interesting thing because people would confuse us with meal kits and they say, oh, like a meal kit and say, no, not a meal kit because it's ready in 90 seconds in your microwave. Everything is made by a real chef in a real restaurant. It's not made in a factory. It's not CPG. And there was just a category confusion that was crazy. And that category confusion, what it means is that it's harder to talk to the consumer. It's harder to explain the difference between territory foods and HelloFresh in the digital world, right? When everyone is saying the same words, it's harder to access capital to grow the business when investors around the table haven't seen it before, or maybe remember some of the early models. If you remember a company called Muntry in San Francisco, that was a fantastic company. Yeah. They went out of business in early 2019. And I think every conversation I walked into all of 2019, Muntry was the elephant in the room. And I actually just started addressing the elephant early on. And what was the core elephant there? I mean, what do you, I mean, there's capital. I mean, there's, I'm sure lots of different things, but how did you differentiate yourself? I should say. Well, I mean, Muntry, the big, the reason there was the elephant was that Muntry had raised, I think, $127 million and went out of business in literally 48 hours. And it was a, it wasn't like a gradual process where they shut some down and they laid staff off. It was like lights on, lights off. And they left probably a thousand, if not more vendors in San Francisco, small businesses holding the bag for products that they could not pay yeah. for. Yeah, no, it, I, I know. I'm sure you remember. And it was like one of these moments where I think a lot of people started to say, like, is venture capital and food going too far? Mm-hmm. Like, is this going to really negatively impact the the world of like the culinary world around us? Um, obviously, we're in a different world now. But the way I would fight it at the time was I would really talk a lot about actually about my experience as working in the franchise business. Because the thing about a franchise is, one, if the product is not good, no one wants it, which is the same universal truth across selling totally. everything. But two, if both sides of the partnership don't work, then the business falls apart. And for territory versus a Seamless or an Uber Eats or a Grubhub or a DoorDash, we really look at our chef relationships as partnerships. And we look at the unit economics on both sides of the agreement and say, how do we build solvent businesses on both sides? Because if working with territory is not a solvent business for a restaurant, they're not going to work with us. Mm -hmm. And then we have less supply side and then we can't meet our customers' demand. And so this is where... 
I think we do things very, I know we do things very differently than everyone else in our category because we really seek partners that have the same values, the same ideals we do around making, uh, you know, delicious food, healthy food. Um, we've partnered up here in DC with a wonderful company called Founding Farmers and the Farmers Restaurant Group. And Dan Simon, CEO, is like a leader in the local business community around conscious capitalism, around building a better ecosystem for food. You know, just we really try to find values aligned restaurants, caterers, so on and so forth. And then what we do is we approach them and say, we want to build a business with you. Because during the pandemic, what happened to the culinary industry was all of a sudden they went from being, you know, if you're a restaurant, right. your, your whole life is trying to plan for your main core business. So if you are a normal restaurant, it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And your whole business is kind of skewed around that, meaning that your supply is set up for that, your labor is set up, your marketing, everything. And you focus on in-service because you're trying to do a plus up, right? You're trying to get somebody to order dessert or add a bottle of wine or something like that. And that's how you do your selling. In the pandemic, all of a sudden, all these culinary businesses, all these restaurants now are selling through platforms that they have no visibility to the end customer. And so your beloved restaurant looks exactly the same as all the other restaurants on the platform. And oh, by the way, some people are paying to be ahead of you in search. And oh, by the way, some of them aren't even real restaurants and they're actually just like brands that the company came up with and they're dark kitchens. I don't know if you've heard about this, but like fake brands that are not actual restaurants and chefs just cook the same thing. And the people who lose in this arrangement, I, I really believe the end consumer loses because as an end consumer, you're kind of like, well, I wanted Thai food, but I have no idea what these restaurants are and I have no idea if it's going to be good. And I can't believe anything on this platform. And then from the restaurant perspective, they lose because they've lost control of their demand side and they've lost control of that consumer relationship. And so they're basically at the mercy of platforms that are very opaque. So I use a lot of seamless. I'm not, I'm not hating on seamless, but it's not an ideal world. We really view ourselves as kind of a marketplace 2.0 where we say, hey, supplier base, hey, restaurants that we work with, we want to build a reciprocal relationship. So that as you're building out your restaurant footprint, we are giving you information about where your customer is buying from through territories. So that as you're placing your next physical restaurant in a post-pandemic world, we can tell you a little bit about that that consumer. You can use our menu as your A-B testing place before you put it on your real menu. We can have a conversation about, we bring a lot of safety knowledge. We bring a lot of excellence in like in crafting, in individual meals, in the way things need to look. We bring that to, to restaurants and we say, hey, like, the consumer will like this more if it looks a little bit more like this. And then on top of that, we bring a ton of uh, like dietary wellness information because we have six dietitians on staff just to uh, to make sure that everything is just border, like baseline healthy. So I think that the pandemic changed our category because people understand the category now Much in a way better. that they never yeah. have. But then also the consumer is thinking about their health in a completely different way. The consumer is saying, how do I change my health in the everyday? And then on the supply side, restaurants are saying, okay, I need to build a better business. Who's going to be with me to build that next business? And that's really where we come in. That's awesome. I, I, I love it. And the food is so good. As I mentioned Thank at the you. beginning of the podcast, it, it's, uh, it's so, so yummy. There was a chicken one that you sent me that was like, wait a minute, no one is touching this. It's sort of like my favorite my favorite drinks, my favorite hint bottles in the refrigerator. You touch it, you are going to be in a lot of trouble. So That's my hint watermelon. Yes. That's my hint watermelon. I, Thank I, you for sending it because it's delicious. Yes, I, I love it. So, well, this is so great. Well, El, Ellis, thank you so much for ha- coming on. When Where can people find out more about Territory Foods and order from you as well? 
Absolutely. So you can go to www.territoryfoods.com. And you can also find us all over social. We're at Territory Foods. You can also follow me. I'm at Alice McHugh. Um, And then we also have a special promo for your listeners as well. And Kara75 is your promo uh, for 75% uh, dollars off of their first order plus free shipping. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. That's so great. Absolutely. And, uh, we're just so excited to be serving people and, um, just excited to be helping people as they figure out what 2022 is going to look like. I can't believe we're here and 21 is over. I think in 22, we'll probably still be talking about 20 and how it changed our lives. Um, but you know, when we think about our goals and where we're going, we're really just trying to modernize the way people eat and help them live a better life. So I think we're aligned in that totally and just want to thank you for the opportunity to share. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on and thanks everybody for listening. And Ella's work is just such a great example of how you can take your own passion and also health and wellness, which are so critical to all and just go and run a business that actually is helping a lot of people. So I, I really admire the brand and what you're what you're doing and what you're committed to doing. So I know that lots of people who are listening to this learned all about it as well and are excited and I'm sure they're going to order from you too. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. We're here every Monday and Wednesday talking to uh, CEOs and founders and just people with amazing stories that we can all learn from and be inspired by uh, their journeys as well. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to pick up a case of hint too. Definitely do that. I'm drinking a raspberry right now and it's mm. quite nice. And also my book, which came out, um, I can't believe a year ago now. It's been a crazy time. Incredible. Uh, and it was uh, Wall Street Journal and Amazon bestseller and really talks about the journey of building hint and my own journey. So hopefully you'll get a chance to pick that up from Amazon or your local bookstore. It's all over airports now. If you're visiting airports, I've had more pictures sent to me of people seeing it on <laughs> the bookshelf at airports and uh, and also on Audible. And that's, uh, that is it for today. But everybody have a great rest of the week. And uh, definitely thank you again for, for sharing everything with us, Alice. And thanks everyone for listening. Cheers. Thanks. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.